Hello, my name is Emma Thorsgaard, and thank you so much for clicking on this episode. Before we get into it, there are some brief content warnings that we need to go over. In this episode, we will be discussing sexual assault, physical abuse, mental abuse, and eating disorders. If any of these topics are hard for you to listen to, it is completely understandable. But without any further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we will talk, be talking about the Larry Nasser case and abuse, mental and sexual abuse in the USA gymnastics program. We'll be joined by a very special guest, Olivia Olson. Hi everyone. And she will briefly explain just her connection to gymnastics and the previous knowledge she had on this. So I've been doing gymnastics since I was five. Um, I started doing competitive gymnastics through USA Gymnastics in third grade, and I did that up until sixth grade when I moved on to high school gymnastics, but I kept up with the Olympians and everything, and my sister was also a, she's currently a training level nine gymnast. Could you explain what the levels mean? So in USAG Gymnastics, uh, you, the lowest level is level three. That's where you start competing um, in front of judges and getting scores. And it goes all the way up to level 10. And once you are a level 10, you are considered an elite gymnast who are gymnasts like Simone Biles, Gabby Douglas, those girls that are training to be Olympians, basically. Okay, so now we're gonna get into a brief timeline of the Larry Nasser case. And we're going to try and keep it short on timeline just because there is a lot that happened because this abuse occurred over a period of almost 30 years. So Larry Nasser was hired well, or volunteered with United States, the gymnastics program in 1997 was when he started. And he, they didn't really cite any abuse right when he started, but it was very shortly afterwards, like once he started to get comfortable in the position, right. I would say. So a lot happened with him in that. And I think some of the, Jessica Howard was one of the people that came forward after 2016 when initial allegations started to come forward. And she was an elite gymnast in 1999 to 2001. So that is when abuse was already happening so early on in his career. Right. Crazy. Okay, so in 2016, a lot of allegations started coming out when Nasser was first accused publicly of abuse, sexually abusing. And these are child athletes. Like a lot of people, when I had heard about this case previous, they just would say athletes. But I think it's very important to note that they were children, and a lot of them were even under the age of 16 when abuse occurred. So it wasn't over 18-year-olds, and it wasn't people that really knew how to stand up and speak up for themselves because he was in a very trusted and highly regarded position, which enabled him to abuse people for such a long time. So I think that's very important to note that these were children that he was abusing, and... You can't just play like, oh, they were elite athletes and they knew what they were getting into. Like, No, these were girls that were fresh into gymnastics that had only been competing for four years, which is like 
nothing in the gymnastics world. Not all of them were 16, 18 year old girls. Some of them were as young as like 10. Mm-hmm. And that goes into later also when he eventually was charged, he was also charged with child pornography because he had a lot of images in that, which they had kind of known that he had a record with children and abusing children and people covered it up for such a long time, but we'll get more into kind of how it was covered up later. Like right now we're still kind of just getting introduced to this. Right. So he was a volunteer USA gymnast doctor for 29 years, but he also was a doctor at Michigan State University. And he often played like the really nice guy doctor, like he would do charity events and he would help a lot of people or so they thought so that was another big part of it is he had a great reputation right away yeah and no one wanted to talk bad about him and they kind of just wrote it all off as like oh this person said this because they want to you know ruin his reputation and nothing actually happened right it's kind of like when you're watching a serial killer case and they always say i would never expect this person to do that or Yeah, so he really worked hard to keep up that good image because he was abusing people for such a long time and he wanted to keep getting away with it because he had such easy access to so many girls who really did trust him and parents trusted him because he was in such a highly regarded medical position where he could do a lot of stuff and just write it off as like, oh, this is standard medical procedure. Who are you to question it? Right. Because these girls, like, most of them hadn't taken an anatomy class yet or had really that much knowledge about just anything of this nature. Yeah. So, then in 2016, like we said, Rachel Denhollander, she got abused at the age of 15, which was a long time, I'd say almost 10 years before she came forward with these claims Because she knew at the age of 15, like, she was so young and she knew that victims weren't treated well. Sexual abuse victims are just ridiculed and made fun of and not taken seriously. So that was another thing. She couldn't take that psychological, like, abuse at such a young age on top of this physical abuse that she was feeling because she just knew that at that young age she couldn't handle that. Right. But then as she got older and realized, like, okay, now she's in a better position. She's in a... Has more power. She had other women supporting her that were also coming out at this time, which made it easier, in a sense, for her. And she said that she knew that she had to do this because if she didn't say anything and if no one said anything, that this abuse would continue because that was a pattern that had been happening for decades at this point. Was people knew that he was doing this they knew like what he was doing and still no one was willing to actually put a stop to it or actually confront the real problem right and i think it's also really important to note that like the people who knew about it it wasn't just like parents that knew about it it was the president of united states gymnastics it was the fbi it was the highest you can get up on the level of power, and they just did nothing. Yeah. So Stephen Penny Jr. was the president of USA Gymnastics from 2005 to 2017. 
And he was really great at covering things up Mm -hmm. because he was first, before he was a president of the gymnastics program, he was in marketing. So he knew how to market an image, no matter who it affected. He was about making money. And the USA Gymnastics was about making money. It was about training girls to win medals, no matter what it took. And it wasn't about actually caring for these athletes as the children, the people that they were. So he offered a job to an FBI agent. At the time, all these allegations were like kind of starting to come out. More people were kind of starting to speak up, still at a very small scale. The public hadn't really heard about it, but there was more rumblings in the program itself of girls trying to come forward. And so he offered a job to an FBI agent to kind of buy favor and to get help covering all of this up. And then it later came out after Nasser was accused that he had been tampering with evidence You know, when he was in court, he used his Fifth Amendment rights to stay silent on every question because he knew that if he had to speak under oath without lying, that he would also be incriminated, which he He eventually... He was only going to dig himself into a hole that he couldn't get out of. So he used his Fifth Amendment right on every single question. And he said when questioned, like previously before the case... He said in 2014, so this was two years before Nasser was tried and all of the allegations really came to a head. He said verbatim that he inherited an executive policy of dismissing complaints as hearsay unless they were signed by a victim, a victim's parent, or eyewitness. And even when it was, they kind of just put it in a filing cabinet and never looked at it again. It was so swept under the rug and... It was just insane, like, that everyone, like, all these girls were trying to follow this procedure, hoping something would happen, and they still just did nothing. And they would kind of be like, okay, well, you checked all the boxes, you know, you have this signed document, you know, we're working on this, like, don't tell the police, because they might mess up our case, they, like, Mm -hmm. that'll interfere with our case, so if you tell the police, then your case will be thrown out. Right. So they were all told that it was being handled in the program and that if they went public with it that it would mess up their case and obviously they were trying to get justice so they wouldn't want to block that right and so 54 coaches over a 10-year period had complaints for sexual assault in the usa gymnastics program so while nasser was a big part of this he wasn't the only person doing this right this wasn't anything new People, it wasn't just him, and he was, he did a lot. I'm not gonna, not gonna belittle that one. Belittle what he did, but it wasn't uncommon. Right. These girls were so used to, you know, mental and physical abuse at the point where they get so high up, and then they're kind of taught that, like, this is what it takes. Mm hmm. If you aren't willing to go through this abuse, then you aren't cut out for the Olympics. You know, you aren't worthy of this great dream if you aren't willing to be abused. And they were so young and impressionable. And, like, these were adults that they trusted. Whose praise that they lived for. Yeah, I can even, like... I was just such a small part of USA Gymnastics. And I can even call back to, like, when I was in 
like fourth and fifth grade coaches saying that like if I don't want to work hard enough or I don't want to be at the gym till eight o'clock at night, then I'm not, they don't need to coach me. They don't need to waste their time on me because that's just what gymnastics was. Yeah. And so the Crowleys were coaches and they started in Romania and they were kind of known for starting this image of really young Olympians. Mm -hmm. So in the 70s, and that's when they were coaching in Romania, it was kind of more normal for someone, you know, 19, 20, all the way up to like 25. They were the Olympian gymnastic They were grown women. They were grown women who kind of knew more of their rights. Right. And then they coached this 14-year-old girl to an Olympic gold medal. And she was a great gymnast, but she was also a child who didn't know how to speak up for herself. Right. So once she won the gold medal for Romania, the whole world kind of really noticed and followed suit. Because young girls saw her win that and thought, I can do this too. And they could. But the problem with having someone that young is they're so easy to manipulate and mold because they don't know their rights. And, you know, they're willing to do whatever it takes. They're trying to prove themselves. And oftentimes they suffered abuse because of it. Right. And, of course, parents aren't always, like, sitting at a gym for four hours a day watching their kid because, you know, they have jobs and they have lives. But So they don't always see, like, what's going on behind these closed doors at the same time. Yeah, so, and a lot of this stuff, it really all snowballed where, you know, the Crowleys came to the United States, started training girls younger, and they were known for being physically abusive at this point they weren't um taking part in sexual abuse but they were still hitting girls and slapping and they were just known for being very violent and aggressive but usa gymnastics kind of turned a blind eye to it because hey now we're winning gold medals they were producing champions and so then they're like okay maybe this is just what it takes and so it really started there in the in the United States where it was whatever it takes whether it was physical, emotional and eventually sexual abuse. And they knew that these girls weren't going to say anything because they didn't want to jeopardize their Olympic dreams because the people abusing them were the people who had the power to take away those dreams. This wasn't some low-level coach who was abusing some girls and they knew that if they went higher up in the power hierarchy that it would be stopped. Abuse was happening from the lowest levels to the highest. The best example I can think of in this situation is um, Maggie Nichols was actually the first gymnast to go to or to file their case against Nasser for sexually abusing Maggie Nichols. And because she had filed this report, 
it cost her the Olympics. She should, in 2016, Maggie Nichols should have gone to the Olympics based on her scores and her consistency. But because in gymnastics at the Olympics, the Carolis handpick who they want to bring to the Olympics, and that's competitors, uh, event specialist, and alternates. They, they choose. So you could get absolute last place at that meet at the Olympic trials and still be picked to be on this team. She placed higher than Gabby Douglas, the reigning Olympic champion, and yet she wasn't even picked as an alternate. Yeah, so she filed her complaint at the end or middle to end of 2015, and she reported inappropriate touching. And she kind of knew that, like, this isn't right because she was in gymnastics from the age of three or just very young age, and she had gone to physical trainers before Nasser, like many of the other girls had, but she was just in a position where she kind of knew that, like, something with how he's treating my injuries aren't right. So she reported inappropriate touching at the end of 2015, and this is when she was training at the Crowley's Ranch, Mm -hmm. which they bought it when they came to the United States and really turned it into this gold standard gym for creating Olympians. So she was there preparing for the Olympics because she was second to Simone Biles going into the Olympic trials. She was kind of like, yeah, she's a shoo-in, she's going to the Olympics. They used her in promo videos because everyone just knew that her talent would get her there and her talent was going to win her country medals. And then at the Olympic trials, Gabby Douglas was the second one announced and she placed lower. And then they announced the alternates. Well, first they announced the rest of the team and she didn't make it. And they even announced the alternates who placed far lower than her did, who were far less consistent and didn't have those scores. So everyone kind of was like, what's going on that this amazing gymnast who performs well isn't going to the Olympics? And her parents, they knew something was up because they had reported this and were kind of told like, oh, just keep it hush-hush, like, if you tell people, it'll really jeopardize this whole situation, and, like, your case will be thrown out if you tell the authorities. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of told that if you tell the authorities, your daughter won't make the Olympics, because her case, you know, it'll just, it'll mess everything up if you tell people. So they didn't tell the authorities because they thought it was being handled. They were told repeatedly that it was being handled. And just, they kind of noticed how Stephen Penny, the president of USA Gymnastics, was being very controlling. And that was a common theme that a lot of girls kind of, if parents reported, he would call the parents directly and be like, like don't talk about this. It, you know, we're handling it and it'll be okay even though it clearly wasn't going to be okay. Right. And they were kind of too busy selling a brand of these these perfect girls, America's girls, to actually care about the girls' health and the girls themselves. Because if they weren't, you know, smiling and they weren't waving and they weren't presenting this perfect image, they were useless. Right. And 
that mentality really messed with a lot of girls. And one of the another one of the other people that reported, her name was Jamie, and I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce her last name, mm-hmm. but she was in the Olympics in the early 2000s. And she cited later that Nasser was sexually harassing her at the Olympics. But they still, even the people who were being abused by him, still knew him kind of as the nice guy, the nice doctor who cared about them. Because in gymnastics, there's a really horrible culture around dieting and eating and eating disorders. And he would always like, let them have a piece of candy or let them eat a little bit when he came, when they came to his room for treatment. So the, all of the athletes knew him as this nice guy, even though deep down they knew they were being sexually abused by him. Mm-hmm. Even if it was just written off as, oh, you know, it's just a medical procedure. You just don't know what you're talking about. You're just a 15-year-old girl. Like, this is standard practice. You'll see. Right. So when she heard her name announced for the Olympics, she was like, well, maybe it's all worth it. Like she had that thought of, yes, I was abused mentally and physically, but maybe it's all worth it. Maybe this is, you know, what wouldn't you give up for this at such a young age? Right. This is all they know at this point. Most of these elite gymnasts, like, they don't go to school. They don't have jobs. They spend up to 40 hours a week in this gym training for this moment. So everything in their life from the age of around five, you know, some start at the age of two. Mm -hmm. Everything in their life is leading up to this moment. And they're told that, you know, whatever happens to you along the way, whether it be broken ankles or torn muscles, like if you give up, you're weak and you don't deserve this dream. Exactly. And a case of that, that a lot of people just really misinterpreted was Carrie Strug vaulting on a broken ankle. So the story with Carrie Strug was that the U.S. needed, oh, I can't remember the score. They needed a very high. A 9.53 or something. They needed a really good vault score to beat the Russians. And Carrie Strug was our last vaulter. And they knew that she could pull it off. And she does her first vault and she falls. And you can see her limping back uh, to do her second vault. And she had actually broken her ankle on that first vault. And she, you can see in her face that like she's so scared, but she knows that she has to do this second vault. So she does her second vault and she lands perfectly on one foot. And it's looked at this miracle. Yeah, this great proud American moment. But in reality, what psycho is letting someone... A child. A child compete on a broken foot. Like her... The gold medal was more important than her being able to walk for the next... However however long long it took to recover. Right. So... Someone who was also a gymnast, they saw like the stadiums just erupt because this girl had vaulted on a broken ankle 
And she was kind of like, why is this the culture that just because she won a gold medal, she, 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 she's fine. Like, she still was a child who had a broken ankle and knew, like, no medical assistance came over to see if she was okay. And this was in the 90s, I believe. Yes, 90s. The late 90s. When she fell on that first vault and broke her ankle, you could tell that she had no really hesitation to she go into that second vault. Like, she knew that if she didn't do that second vault, like... Her career was over. She would have been a failure to U.S. gymnastics. So she knew that she had no other choice. There wasn't an alternate. There wasn't a backup at that point. Mm -hmm. You get two tries to do it right, and it doesn't matter if you break your ankle in the first try. You are using your second try to try and win that gold medal for your country. For your program, really. Because they had cultivated this image by this point of the U.S. was winners. They were going to fight against all odds and they were going to win. Yeah. It didn't matter what it took. They would push through anything. So she knew that she didn't have a choice. Yeah. She wasn't going to get help. She wasn't going to get medical assistance until after she won that gold. So... She was getting carried off, you know, fighting back tears because she does have a broken ankle. But, I mean, I can't even imagine the emotions she was going through because she had just broken her ankle. She had just won a gold medal. And as she was being carried off, you know, you could tell that she was in a lot of pain. But she was also probably pretty proud because she had... She did pull this off for her country and for the program. And so she's just kind of holding back emotions as she's getting carried off. And you can hear the coach say, like, smile and wave. Right. Wave to the people. As if this image is still the most important part. At this point in time when she had already won the medal, she had already defied the odds, and she was injured. She was an injured child. Yep. So it's just, there's a lot that goes into this that allowed Nasser particularly to do all of this. So in 2016, like we've said, that's kind of when the first allegations really started to come forward and pile up. Because people had been reporting abuse on specifically Larry Nasser since 1997. It wasn't anything new at this point. No. He, people, he, they knew he had a record and they kept hiring him to work with children, hiring him to work with these young, impressionable girls, even when really just absolutely disgusting reports were, people knew about these. And so when Nasser kind of said, I've never done anything resembling sexual abuse. A lot of former child athletes who were now fully grown women finally were like, enough is enough. And they really came forward to counter that. So John Manley worked at the Indy Star, who was 
kind of the first reporter to really be like, I think we really have a case here. So he kind of outed Nasser's case to the public. And like at the time, he was like running for school boards and like he has a family. And John Manley kind of realized really quickly that he was dealing with an organization that didn't really care about its athletes, the the children that were the whole image of this organization. It really cared about itself and that image enough to cover up decades of sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all these big names were covering for him, which made it very difficult to kind of out him to the public because this whole organization just loved him. So they finally, all of these women came forward and it was impossible to ignore. And we can't ignore the fact that these women, a lot of them were really applauded, like that they had finally come forward, but a large number of people really hated them. Yeah, that was the one of the hardest things for a lot of these women to come forward was because a lot of the bigger gymnasts like Ali Raisman, Gabby Douglas, Simone Biles, like they had really big social media platforms and just influencer platforms. And that could either be a really good thing for them and they could support a lot of people or it could go the opposite direction and everyone would absolutely hate them. And so then when these women who were gymnasts in, you know, the late 90s, the early 2000s, at the time when they were competing, people maybe knew their name for a couple of years, but unless you were really in the gymnastics community, you kind of forgot about the past Olympics and who really was a winner in the past. And that's just how history and time works. So a lot of these women didn't have the platforms, even though some of them were multiple like time gold winning champions. People were just calling them like these washed up athletes who had nothing better to do than ruin this great doctor's career. And so they knew that that was a possibility when they came forward. They knew that a lot of people were really gonna hate them for this But they also knew that if they said nothing, that it would keep happening. Exactly. So everyone, like once the floodgates opened, they really opened. And more and more and more people came forward. And they really said it well when the judge who ended up presiding over this case, she said... When a victim comes to report, it can be very scary because they're losing control of their story. So it's no longer their story anymore. And now people can think of them and this sexual abuse however they want. So that's why so many of them didn't come forward even after they got out of the program. You know, some of them waited almost you know, 15 years to come forward because they were so scared of what would happen because they weren't, you know, taking on some old man who lives down the street and is just known to be a bad guy. Yeah, he was 
highly known and highly respected and loved by yeah. so many and were like everyone in gymnastics knew this name as someone to be loved unless they were the ones who were being abused by him directly and even some of them like we said they still loved him because he was still really had crafted this image of the nice guy so well so upon the initial sentencing in 2016 he was kind of being tried for he was being tried for sexual abuse but also for child pornography because they finally got a search warrant for his house and they found over 37,000 images of child pornography so that was really the tipping point like yes we can bring him to court now because that was tangible proof mm-hmm. that you know something was seriously wrong he with this is guy a child predator. yeah and they kind of finally they couldn't cover that up exactly because the police had found images at his house and people who worked in media and journalism were kind of started to compile all of these cases and people kept calling into the indie star who initially reported on this and were saying like I don't want my name but I have a story mm-hmm. because a lot of them were they were scared like at this point they weren't little kids anymore they were you know mothers they had jobs they couldn't they didn't want to risk that career but they knew that they had to share right so they sentenced him and the judge was really helpful to all of these girls and she allowed anyone who wanted to testify to speak like if you were a gymnast and you had been abused by Larry Nasser, you got your chance to make an impact statement at the end of this trial. And they were expecting like 60 to 80 at most. Like there won't be more than that. And then by the end, over 150 women had come forward with such shockingly similar stories. And it really became obvious that he had done this for years unchecked when people and even when they had tried to report it it got swept under the rug and there have been multiple accounts of sexual abuse in the usa gymnastics program besides him but he accounted for a very large portion of them one statistic said that he abused over 260 of the 368 known cases which is alarmingly high for one man it is it's absolutely like appalling like you can't even stomach those numbers so a lot of people a lot of these young girls that had absolutely fallen in love with gymnastics at a young age really got it knocked out of them by the constant emotional and sexual abuse. And one person, after they testified, Jamie, going back to her, she said that after she looked Larry Nasser in the face and like finally testified against him, that she was finally proud of being an Olympian and winning those medals all those years ago. Because for a long time, it was such a black mark on her mental health 
that it was hard to be like, oh yeah, I did that. Yeah. It was hard to be proud of it because of all the stuff that she had to sacrifice to be there. So in January of 2018, so two years after Larry Nassar was sentenced, um, the Crowleys finally closed the ranch because that was a place where a lot of the sexual abuse and physical and mental abuse took place. Took place. Like they couldn't escape it. And in a statement, Martha Crowley said that she knew he was sexually abusing children and she did nothing to stop it because she wanted winners. And, you know, these athletes didn't want to risk getting kicked off these teams for, you know, reporting this very real abuse because they had been taught that the Olympics is your worth. This is the greatest coach. She will take you there. Whatever she says is gospel. Yeah. So they weren't allowed really to question the ways of, you know, Martha and Bella Caroli of Larry Nasser, mm-hmm. of Stephen Penny, like all of these big faces, big names were associated with winning. And if you wanted to win, you did what they said. You sucked it up. It didn't matter if you were injured. It didn't matter if you were being abused. It didn't matter if your mental health was awful. It didn't matter if you had eating disorders. You were going to win. Yep. And to do that, you were going to listen. And that's where it's really important to keep noting that these were children. These were really young girls who really had put their entire lives in the hands of these people. Because this was what they knew. They were basically working a full-time job. More than some adults work in an hourly week. Their whole life was this. These people, these coaches, were their lives. And for every bad thing they did, or every 10 bad things they did, that one hug, that one good job... Made up for all of it. It it justified it. Yeah, in their minds. Because they were young girls. Mm -hmm. And so impressionable. And so, in some other cases, because this kind of all happened in 2016, 2018. In 2021, he was fully sentenced and more people you know everywhere from low level lower level gymnastics that he treated to olympians really got to tell the impact he had mm-hmm. and so simone biles who is kind of the current gold standard for olympians And we'll talk about the 2021 Olympics in a little bit. But she kind of really said, I blame Larry Nassar, but there's more. She said that she also blamed the entire system that enabled and really helped him perform this abuse for such a long time. Mm -hmm. So because the FBI was kind of bought by Stephen Penny... Nasser was free to continue working with girls and young women. And, you know, he assaulted so many people 
so many children who didn't have to be victims or survivors of this abuse if the government had done its job, if the USA Gymnastics program had done its job in reporting this abuse when it first happened. He was abusing people before you know, some of these girls that he ended up abusing were even born because he had been doing this for such a long time. So Allie Raisman, who was another gymnast, she won an Olympic medal at the 2016 Olympics in Rio. And she was also considered old at the time. And she was 19. And she was kind of considered, like, one of her nicknames was she was like the grandma of the group. Mm -hmm. And so she was a little older, but she had still grown up in this culture. And so... Her testimony said that the FBI's conduct really allowed um, that the FBI really was serving innocent children up to a pedophile, a known pedophile, on a silver platter mm-hmm. with, you know, nothing really happening. Because they had tried to, like, sort of do some things over the years, like, oh, well, you should have another doctor in there. But then he was like, oh, you know how it is. Like, you can't always have another doctor there. Like, it's just People busy. Are busy and yeah. Excuses, he, excuses. He really got away with excuses for a very long time. And it's also not just the FBI. And it's not just Nasser. There are so many victims of this cycle of abuse. And... When it's not acted upon, it really is just leaving predators at large to assault more victims, all for the sake of conserving this golden image. And even when they were investigated, it was like, well, that's too much. It doesn't fit the, you know, typical stereotypes of an abuser. And even when they had solid evidence and multiple victims that were willing to testify, they kind of were just like, well, it's just too much. Like, it's just not, it's just not true. Right. They just kept brushing it under the rug. And so Rachel, De- Rachel Denhollander, who was kind of one of the really big names in bringing this all to light, eventually did go on to become a lawyer because of all of this. And her statement said, what's been going on in United States gymnastics is an entire system of abuse. It's a system that covers up sexual abuse and not just by Larry Nassar, but by member coaches and a lot more, a system of covering up physical abuse and an abusive framework that allowed athletes to be systematically and routinely starved and isolated from their parents and other adults who they trusted. So she said that Larry Nasser was not the problem, but a very dramatic symptom of a larger problem. Mm-hmm. So the last thing that we'll talk about is Simone Biles and the 2021 Olympics, which should have been the 2020 Olympics, but because of COVID, they were pushed back a year. Right. And she ended up 
pulling out of the Olympics, which was very unheard of. Yeah, it was it was a very big deal, especially for gymnasts like me and my sister who had grown up watching Simone and cheering her on. And we we knew her as the greatest athlete in the world. She was the greatest athlete in the world. She was recognizing herself as the greatest athlete in the world right now. And she ended up pulling out of the Olympics with no known physical injuries. Like, most of the time, if an Olympian had pulled out of the Olympics, it was basically because they physically could not push themselves. Which was the... That was the biggest thing for Simone. Whether or not she was physically injured, mentally injured, any of that. The fact that she was able to step back at all and just say, I'm not going to compete, and did it, was just a huge step for gymnasts. Because like Carrie Strug, she broke her ankle and she knew she was going to do that second fault. Simone knew that she wasn't ready to compete and so she stepped back and said I am more important than a gold medal and that it'll be very interesting to see going forward because that such a big name on the largest stage in the world acknowledging that like my mental health is not okay if I compete I won't be doing anyone good. I won't be doing my country good. And most importantly, I won't be doing myself good. So the fact that she had the power to step back is a huge milestone. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be really beneficial for future gymnasts who are those little, little girls that are looking up to her right now. And one day they'll step back and say, I'm not ready for this or I am not committed enough to this to be risking things like injuries or my mental health and so it's really the fact that and she got support from her coaches and from her country she got a lot of hate too which such a bold move she knew that she was gonna receive hate but she was supported in her decision to back out and she still did win some medals, but she didn't compete in the all-around. And other, other Olympians were at the Olympics, and they did amazing. Suni Lee was even able to step up and claim that all-around championship title, which was amazing for her because Suni Lee is an amazing athlete. And it was really nice to, for her to be able to step into that spotlight that usually Simone is consumed in and Simone Biles supported her in doing that Mm -hmm. so then being able to get support from their coaches and each other that really supported their own mental health is a huge kind of pivot point in the USA Gymnastics program and so I think it'll have really positive effects for years to come Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you look into this further, or if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, that you know that you're not alone in this, and that there is support in many different places, but it is 
a big step and it is no small feat to come forward with that and it is your own decision whether or not you want to come forward with that Mm -hmm. so thank you so much for listening